The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. Welcome to another year of White Sox Baseball. 2023 is upon us. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be with you all season long, we hope, along with James Fox. Same deal here at FutureSox.com. James, Happy New Year. Happy holiday season to you. Thanks for everything that you do. It's kind of crazy that we're talking about 2023 already. How long have we been doing this podcast? I feel like I asked that question a lot. Yeah, I think 2020, right? I mean... That was when we seriously took over. I think we had a lot of downtime and... You know, we had a lot of friends on and we had like authors on and talked to a whole bunch of people like that was pretty cool because there was like no baseball to talk about. But yeah, we had a lot of people on. It was fun, like doing the uh, like the blogger circuit. I think we did. Right. Like we just mm-hmm. we just found like interesting people from the White Sox blogosphere and White Sox Twitter and had them on the podcast and talk prospects and other things. So, yeah, it was fun. It's been it's been a while. Uh, personally, 2022 was pretty good. Um, but for our favorite baseball team, I think we're ready to turn the page and we're ready for whatever 2023 brings. Well, we want to thank the Future Sox listeners, all those who support Sox Machine as well. If you want to become a Patreon supporter, go to SoxMachine.com and follow the instructions there. It helps us continue to produce the content. I say it every week because we produce Podcast weekly, every Tuesday, Future Sox podcast drops. You can listen to the Sox Machine podcast as well via the Blue Wire Network, in which uh, we are being um, distributed thanks to them. So, James, here's what we have today. 2023, looking to the future, the White Sox figure to be contenders. Uh, They believe that they have enough to contend, whether they want to say it's for a World Series or not. I mean, it's up to their discretion, but to us, there's no reason for them to not try to compete for a World Series. So we'll get into a a pretty significant conversation related to position, depth, um, related to second and right field specifically. James Fagan wrote a pretty interesting feature about a point that will launch us into the discussion. Also, I mean, we're going to focus on Romy Gonzalez and Lenin Sosa, Oscar Colas, of course. Fangraphs put out a top 26. Now, I want 
James to take over this conversation once we get there, because Fangraphs does it a little bit differently than those of Baseball America and MLB Pipeline. Our guy Jim Callis and Bill Mitchell, Callis of MLB.com and Bill Mitchell of Baseball America. We talked to Bill Mitchell in the last episode of Future Sox podcast. Go back and listen to that after this one if you haven't already. He's awesome. But I want to talk to you about some of the names that are listed in in their order and the reasoning behind where they're ranked. So stick around for that. We're going to kick things off on this episode first by discussing a couple of things that I found interesting on the Bernstein and Holmes show. My place of employment, 670 The Score, had Tim Corbin on the station. And Tim Corbin, those who follow college baseball understand uh, the significance of the name. Tim Corbin Vanderbilt, a guy who's had... I want to say two national championships at least over the last decade and coach Dansby Swanson. He had Carson Fulmer who actually started the clincher in 2014. Kyle Wright was a freshman on that Vanderbilt team. Walker Bueller. I want to say if I'm incorrect on that one, James call me out, but I'm pretty sure Walker Bueller was on that 2014 Vanderbilt roster. So Tim Corbin has been around a very valuable recruiter, um, somebody who I, I just respect his philosophy of the game so much, and he's had so much success across his career. He joined Bernstein and Holmes, and this is where I want to kick off the conversation, James, because there's a couple of things here. One, he mentioned the value of being a two-sport athlete. Now, we're going to get to the audio in a minute, courtesy of 670 The Score, and I bring that conversation to the table because it relates to Colson Montgomery. Another part of this, James, is that Noah Schultz, was recruited by Tim Corbin in Vanderbilt, decided to sign with the White Sox after being selected 26 overall in last year's draft, in the 2022 draft. We could say that officially now. And I felt like it was pretty interesting, James. I know you and I had a conversation about you know the process of drafting Noah Schultz and the strides that we're seeing the pitcher already take. But before we get to the audio, because I know you listened to the interview, was there some takeaways from what Tim Corbin said about the way he recruits or the way he targets guys like Noah Schultz that stood out to you? Yeah. So, I mean, like Tim Corbin's a prob, you know, one of the best in the business for sure. I mean, Vanderbilt's always awesome. You know, it is tougher to get guys in there, but they're always loaded. And I remember the draft discourse over Noah Schultz and we kind of talked about it. Like I know I was kicking myself big time for not writing the profile on him and, you know, we kind of talked about just how weird it was because, like, I just, you know, everybody kind of thought he was going to Vanderbilt. But I mentioned that he pitched that summer for the pistol shrimp or whatever he did. And it's just weird that you would pitch in the summer if you weren't interested in signing. And I had heard, like, he wanted upwards of $3 million, which seemed fair. And, you know, he signed for two point eight and went to the White Sox, you know, whatever it was, 26th overall. So that whole thing was interesting. The one thing I'll say you know, about the interview you guys had, and it was good. Like Lawrence and Dan were really good with him. <laughs> He's always recruiting, man. The thing that I found funny is when, when he throws in there at the end that it's very tough for, you know, high schoolers to go to the big leagues and matriculate through a system and end up pitching in the big leagues. That's totally a call for, hey, high school athletes, come to Vanderbilt instead of like declaring and going pro right away. So while the message was good, I chuckled at that part because these that's just the way these guys are. They're just constantly recruiting. So I want you to hear 
what he had to say, Tim Corbin, about Noah Schultz and the Chicago White Sox first round draft pick of 2022. We're going to take a listen to this. And I also have another clip. And if you want to listen to the entire interview, just search Tim Corbin, Bernstein and Holmes, 670 The Score, and you'll find it because it is totally worthwhile. You'll love that conversation. But here's just a snippet of that. Well, I just think size. You saw projection. I mean, he was a kid that hadn't pitched a lot. Um, but yet at the same time, there was some athleticism to him. I mean, he, he's more from a, if you see the body and you spoke to him, it's more basketballish than baseballish, especially being left-handed pitcher. You don't see a lot of guys, his size and Randy Johnson. And then who, you know, it's like, you, you, there's just not a lot of guys that are built like Randy Johnson or Noah Schultz. Now what he becomes, who knows? I mean, it's, it's tough for a high school kid to sign and, and last through a system. And then, get to the big leagues, but he certainly has athleticism. He's a smart kid. Uh, he's more of a short armor than a Randy Johnson, uh, but there's some arm strength to him, and there's a pretty good break and pitch too. So what he becomes, I, I don't know. We certainly wanted him here because we felt like we could develop the mind and the body, but that's, uh, that's no longer. So we'll, we'll see what happens. So that was Tim Corbin talking about a lost recruit in Noah Schultz, now in the Chicago White Sox system. We talked about a little bit about James Fegan's report that had a quote from Chris Getz talking so highly about Noah Schultz's performance in Arizona. And James, after hearing Corbin, a couple of things came to mind. He said, basketballish body, said Randy Johnson, and then who? Now, we talk about that comp. It's not necessarily expectations for Noah Schultz. It's just the body type and the way he delivers his repertoire. What were some of the takeaways that you got from that clip quickly? Well, I mean, it's definitely the type of guy that he typically gets. I mean, if, if you pay attention to the draft yearly, which, you know, we do, but not not necessarily this soon, like most of the top high school pitchers in the country are committed to Vanderbilt, at least the, you know, the top few. And, you know, a lot of them sign and don't get there. But, you know, if he recruits 10, he might get a couple. You know, I do think it's interesting that he, you know, he referenced the basketball player body thing. And the Randy Johnson thing is interesting, too, just because, like, there was a lot of talk about him post-draft, like how guys this big, like, it's not a thing, right? Like, we don't see it often. And pitchers this big usually fail. And I kind of push back just, like, I don't know how many guys his size that look like him are trying to pitch, right? So I just think the sample's small, so we'll see. I mean, you know, reports have been good. We had Bill Mitchell last week, too, and he, you know, he raved about Noah Schultz at Instruct. So, you know, I think he's he, he might be the the most interesting player in the system right now because he's, he's kind of like a fulcrum as far as, like, you know, where this system goes, right? Like, does it kind of stay in the mid-20s or does it jump up into the teens? Like, Noah Schultz could have a lot to do with that. Yeah, we talked 100 innings for Noah Schultz. I'm going a little conservative. If he gets to 80 this year in a full professional season, I will be excited. I think the White Sox want to take it easy on him. I mean, we don't know how this body is going to develop. And if it's delicate, you want to take it slow. And you have time to take it slow with a guy. But he could also just fly past all of our expectations because of the skill set. Just curious about his strength. How is he going to handle the workload? So... Those are things that we will keep in mind this year across the entire season. Now, there's another thing, James, and that's the two-sport athlete conversation. We heard the basketballish frame. Now, from Tim Corbin, just a quick cut about the value of players participating in multiple sports outside of just baseball. Like athletic kids, like guys that can de- 
decompress at certain points of the year because I think this is just my thought, and it may may not matter to anyone. But as far as what I've seen with kids in general, the kids that have a chance to play, that are available, that stay on the field, that grow in the game of baseball are guys that have played other team sports. And baseball is basically an individual sport played as a team. You think about it, you know, when you're on the mound, you're playing by yourself. When you're in the batter's box, you're playing by yourself. And when you're, you know, you're fielding the ball, you're, you're basically playing by yourself. And you say, well, that, that happens in every other sport too. Baseball is a little bit different that way. But I think the wiring of a team sport athlete is, is different than just a guy that plays baseball all the time. And you can see it. It's pretty easy to see. And I think just their acumen for what's going on around them, and I use Dansby as an example because you think about a point guard in basketball where they're trying to move the ball down the court. They're not staring at the people around them before they pass the ball or put the ball up in the air. They kind of have a, an awareness of what's there. And I just feel like there's so many traits that go from basketball and football and tennis and soccer, for that matter, to baseball that – I think it's it's very beneficial, and I just think from an athleticism standpoint and just a mind standpoint, we've favored very well when we've had those athletes, whether it's David Price, whether it's Sonny Gray, whether it's Walker Bueller, whether it's Mikey Miner, whether it's Dansby Swanson, whether it's Tony Kemp. You're talking about guys that are double athletes, triple athletes, played three sports. The, the, there's, there's a reason why they stick for long periods of time, and my, my feeling has always been because they play n- numerous sports. So, James, you work in youth sports, uh, specifically football, and I know football is something that's uh, difficult to play all the time and focus all of your attention on that. But your opinion on the value of young athletes getting away from their main sport of interest and playing you know, anything else to get their mind off of what they believe could be their career? Yeah, I love it. I love everything he said. I mean, the you know, the, I think the biggest thing is just like the the competition part. Like you, you want them outperforming in other stuff, right? Like, yeah. So like everybody that listens to this podcast and people that know me know the yeah, I coach high school football uh, down in the Southwest suburbs. Look, we, ugh, me specifically, but others, like I, I always prefer guys that are, you know, done with the football season and then they, they wrestle or play basketball and then they do track and field. I mean, like track and field and football should be, synergistic to the point where like you should almost be forced to do both in my opinion. But you know, yeah, I mean like you're always going to have your guys that stop and focus on one sport and look, it does happen quite a bit. Like in baseball, it becomes a baseball thing where guys just play year round and like that could be your path too, but that's the, maybe the best college coach in the country saying it right. And he's not, saying it for no reason. Those are the types of guys that he recruits. And those are the types of guys that he's seen become successful because I think it matters because I think when your sports over, like it's not just about like getting in the weight room and getting your body right. Like that stuff's important, but you need to go compete as well. I, I couldn't agree with him more. And I think it does. It bodes well for a guy like Colson Montgomery. And I will say like, even like the front office under Kenny Williams, like, you know, we've joked like in the past and, you know, it's like, oh, they took another football player. But I mean, like, it's a real thing, like taking multi-sport athletes. Now, do those type of guys always translate to baseball skills? They haven't here, right, that we've seen over the last 20 years. Um, but I think I think you always want athletes and guys that play everything. So, you know, I'm glad that you guys had Tim Corbin on. I'm glad that we got to use some of it here on the Future Sox podcast. 
Yeah, I think it's great perspective to talk about individual players playing as a team in baseball and knowing what that means following playing a team sport like basketball. Winning individually is so much different than winning as a team and the weight of that pressure on the mind. And to do that as a youth athlete uh, in baseball and only that playing 210 days out of the 365 day calendar is so challenging. And I think it burns kids out. I I don't, I, I love the idea. Yes. The physical aspect of playing different sports allows your body to develop in a different way. And your muscles to build and grow um, because you're using them differently than you would in if you're focused on one sport doing the same mechanics over and over again. I just think there's so much value in getting away from something that you consider your number one and allowing yourself a mental break from that while also staying in shape and maintaining that competitive fire and understanding the different side of uh, what it means to be an athlete uh, in other sports. So Colson Montgomery, we, we tie it to him because the White Sox, of course, selected him in 2021 in the first round, and he was a basketball player as well. And I'm pretty sure he played football before he quit to focus on just basketball and baseball as a high school athlete, right, James? Yeah, I believe that he did play football for a while and then stopped. I think he played quarterback. And that, so the mm-hmm. same thing, like just to jump in, like Jared Kelly stopped playing football early, but he, I mean, he was a high school quarterback in Refugio, Texas, which, I mean, if you're playing quarterback in Texas at any level, like, I mean, you're pretty good. So, and then just like off the top of my head, I mean, I believe like Sean Burke was a very high level basketball player in Maryland. Mm -hmm. So like, it is a, you know, look, I'm not going to say it's a White Sox thing. That's the team that we cover. Right. But it's definitely something that this particular scouting department looks for. And I don't know if it's something that like, you take a guy over another guy because of it, right? But, it, but, you know, it's definitely like a positive attribute for some of these guys. Love to get your opinion on it, too. You can email us, futuresocks at gmail.com. You could tweet us. You could respond in the comments section on socksmachine.com. Wherever you listen to your podcast, please like and subscribe. We got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk second base and right field for the Chicago White Sox. Something that James Fegan mentioned in a recent article, we often like to reference Fegan, one of the hardest working members of the Major League Baseball beat. And we're going to get into as well Fangraph's top 26 of the White Sox farm system. So we'll get to that on the other side. But first, we got to take a break, fulfill some ad sponsorships. If you want to become a patron subscriber, you can, and you won't receive any ads, and you'll get exclusive offers from Sox Machine and our group. Thanks to Josh Nelson and Jim Margulis. We're going to take a break, come back, talk more White Sox. James, the White Sox spent some money. They decided to spend on a starting pitcher, which they absolutely needed in Mike Clevenger, and they filled the role in left field with Andrew Benintendi, $75 million over five years. Great. They didn't expend any amount of resource into second base or right field outside of what they have within the organization at this point of the offseason. Now, to this point, we're talking about 2023 in January, February starting to roll around and we're going to have some top 30 discussions on our site, by the way, futuresocks.com coming up so you can look forward to that. But starting to get late, I don't really see the White Sox addressing second base specifically outside of the organization at this point, unless it's a trade. And even then, I'm not sure there is going to be a lot of value that can 
max what they already have and what they could already get out of Romeo Gonzalez and Lenin Sosa specifically. So let's talk about this article that James Fegan put together for The Athletic. He mentioned within it that Oscar Colas and Romy Gonzalez specifically, who are natives of the Miami area, are working with Mike Tozar and the other hitting coaches of the Chicago White Sox organization. Chris Johnson's about 90 minutes away, uh, roughly, as well as Jose Castro. So let's talk about this, James. What does it say to you that Colas and Romy are working with White Sox hitting instructors throughout this winter do you kind of agree with my assessment at this point of the offseason that there's really no need to go out and add at this point in, uh, because of the internal options at both right field and second base? Well, so those are the two guys we know about, right? Because those are the two guys Fegan wrote about. But if these guys have some lab down in Miami, I mean, it's an easy place to get to, I feel like. I feel like Luis Robert is in Florida somewhere as well. Like we haven't really seen that link yet, but, you know, I think this is a it's a positive for the organization for sure. Um, I could see why people would really like Romy Gonzalez. I mean, the exit velocity numbers are really good. He hit too many balls on the ground. Like many White Sox players, I feel like launch angle is going to be a big thing that we're going to be talking about because it's something that they want to improve. And it's something that these guys want to improve because, you know, the new way seems to be like they, they don't, they're not trying to hit singles. I think was that what Grafol or somebody said? So, which, you know, I think is promising. So we'll see. I think everything sounds good from this coaching staff. Um, I, you know, I think we've been on the Oscar Colas thing. Like, I think he's the right fielder. You know, I think they should add another outfielder. I think a guy like an Adam Duvall, you know, that can hit lefties makes a lot of sense. Or, you know, if you could somehow get a Ramon Laureano from Oakland, like a guy like that, like a guy that, you know, just an extra guy that could be right-handed, you know, that that could play at the beginning if we need him to. But I don't see any reason why Oscar Colas shouldn't start in the big leagues. I think he's had a big enough sample. I think some of the issues you may have with him, um, the strikeout rate, the not walking enough, that type of stuff. I'm just not sure that stuff gets fixed if he goes down to Charlotte for a couple of weeks. And then in regards to your other thing, like Rick Hahn hasn't talked in a while. I'm sure that'll be this week when they introduce Andrew Benintendi officially. But you know, he hasn't said that they're going internal at second base, but the messaging has kind of seemed like, you know, that's the plan. And I just kind of feel like Romy Gonzalez and Lenin Sosa, like have a shot at being better than what they could realistically add anyway. And I think like if an Elvis Andrews, like decided there's not a shortstop job and he came back, like, I think everybody'd be excited about that. And I would be fine with it. Or, you know, if they traded a prospect or some of their relievers for, a new second baseman that hits left-handed, I think we'd be fine with that too. I'm just, you know, I think if it has to be Sosa and Romy and even like Jose Rodriguez in that mix, like they've done worse. I'd much rather do that than sign like a Josh Harrison type who, you know, might be able to give you, what did, what, what did he do last year? A 1.4 war season. I just, I think Romy and Sosa can do the same things personally. Yeah, and those available at second base, especially the free agent market at second base, is rough. I mean, you want a 97 OPS plus, you'll probably get better from Romy and Lenin combined. I think Lenin has a shot, James, and you've been high on Sosa since his um, emergence last year, really, when he took off in double A. But 
internally, it, it looks like the White Sox are trying to commit to organizational depth and they're trying to maximize the resources they have within. And it's, especially with Oscar Colas, I mean, we can talk about him, of course, but I, I, I'm not worried about what Oscar Colas can provide at the big league level. I think he's going to go through his major league struggles. The White Sox have Gavin Sheets. I know it's not as exciting as you'd like to see, but Aloy Jimenez, you're going to get production from the rest of the lineup that can kind of mask the struggles of right field because they believe Oscar Colas is the long-term answer. But at second base, it makes more sense to me to dedicate their time in giving Romy and Lenin that job this season. 100%. And like, what if their long-term answer at second base is Jose Rodriguez? Because I don't think that's completely out of the question. Like, that's the guy that we aren't talking about. He's on the 40 man down the stretch at double a, he was very good. He broke his hammock. He's back playing. Right. And like, if they start him in Charlotte and he's really good in that place, like we're going to see him. So I just think, you know, like if you want to add a vet for cheap, fine. But I think Larry Garcia's presence like inhibits that a little bit. And look, I think everybody knows how we feel about that situation. Like if you designated Larry for assignment and let Romy take that spot, I think we'd both be fine with it. I just, I, I, I don't really think that's going to happen. So, I mean, my question to you is like the thing on, I feel like a lot of people with Lenny and Sosa and he was kind of a pop-up, right? Like he was on the fringes of our list. And then last year he made real swing changes and alterations and, you know, Jim Margulis went down to Birmingham and interviewed him. And we talked to Andy Barquette and, you know, I'd like to go over some of those stats like a, a little bit here, but what do you think it is? Like, what what do we need to see? Like, what else do we need to see from Lennon Sosa? Like, is the apprehension, the 36 plate appearance, big league sample that people saw where he wasn't very good? Is it Does it boil down to that, you think? You bring up a couple of great points. And the fact that Jose Rodriguez and Brian Ramos are on the 40-man roster is uh, definitely something of significance because you think about adding a veteran, what does that mean for them? I mean, you're just pushing more of the products that you've developed and who are on on our list at FutureSox.com, but also Major League Baseball Pipeline, recognizing them in Baseball America as their most valuable prospects, top 10 prospects in the system right now. So if you're adding a veteran, you expect that veteran to be the second baseman in 2023, then what does it mean for the value of your internal depth? And it just kind of pushes them down the line. And yeah, it's great to have all this uh, middle infield depth in your system, but that's where the value comes from. Use them at the big league level because there are uh, points of their skill set that could be valuable for a team like the White Sox and how they're structured right now. So that's just how I feel. But to your question about Lenin, I think it's more of uh, the fact that he's unproven and that you know you need something consistent at second base that's been lacking over the last several seasons that White Sox fans are clamoring for because there's an expectation to win the world series over the next couple of seasons. I mean, this is a window that, you know, that they committed to winning. And when you say you're going to give the job to an unproven player, who's had very limited um, success at a high level minor league affiliate, it leaves fans apprehensive. So I think it's just a matter that these players are unproven and that's as simple as that. But at this point, you just got to let them do it. Right. So like in regards to Sosa specifically and as a matter of like what else we need to see. So I will say like he, he struggles initially, usually at every level, which is something that we've talked about. 
He went to double A last year, 289 plate appearances. So just bear with me for one second. 933 OPS, 141 weighted runs created plus with a 218 ISO. You know, he walked at a at a 7% clip and struck out 14% of the time. So he did he hit 23 minor league homers like in total last year. Now, he was called up to the big leagues from double A and we all know what happened like Tony didn't play him, right? Then he goes to AAA from there and struggles like a lot. In 86 plate appearances, you know, he put up a 600 OPS um, with just a 58 weighted runs created plus, right? Not good. He wasn't walking. He was striking out 23% of the time. But in his next 161 plate appearances in AAA, he hit a lot better. 228 ISO, 943 OPS, 149 WRC plus. He walked at a 10% clip. I mean, overall in Charlotte, he posted, he hit 296, 352, 469 with a 117 WRC plus. So if they send him back to Charlotte, like, I think it's fine. He doesn't need to start with the big league club, but I would expect him to do similar again at Charlotte. And then at that point, like, I just feel like whatever stopgap signing they have, it's going to be like, Hey, why don't they bring this Sosa kid up to play second? Right. So, you know, we, we've talked about the weirdness of winning a job in spring training and how meaningless that can often be. So like determining who the second baseman is by some competition in spring training can be a little bit foolhardy, but I just feel like these guys are good enough to do this job compared to what I think they could realistically acquire right now. And like, I think if you look at projection systems, like I think Zips has Lenin Sosa like 1.2 war, I think, you Mm -hmm. know, the white, you know, the last time the White Sox got two war out of a second baseman. I think it was 2006 with Tadahito Iguchi. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying, like, the position's been a black hole for a long time, and not that, like, a a one-and-a-half war player is the goal, right? But I think they have guys in-house that can do that if necessary. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And the thing about it is allow Lenin to develop at his pace, but he's a big league player. And when you talk about him in Charlotte, it's fine. It's a safety cushion for him to begin the year. That's fine. Cause I think Romy Gonzalez is the starting second baseman for the Chicago White Sox. You also have Leary Garcia uh, as backup, like you mentioned, James, but the fact of the matter is I think fans don't want to see a prospect fail and develop and work through struggles in the big leagues at this point, because the team is trying to win a world series, but we're talking about a six to seven, eight month campaign where things are going to happen and change. And That's just how baseball seasons go. And if you're getting production out of the rest of the lineup and other positions that you expect, then second base and right field suddenly don't become so significant. And it became significant over the course of a a number of seasons because they didn't get anything from anyone for most of the year. And that was especially last season. I mean, specifically last season. So that's, you know, part of this discussion because you want to, you want to improve everywhere. Now my dog's freaking out. Love it. All right. So James, really good conversation there. That leads us to the final topic of the episode. Fangraphs top 26. This is, um, this is something. I need you to explain it to me because they base it off future value. Could you just clarify what this Fangraphs uh, measuring system really is? Yeah. So, I mean, they break it up into future value and it's like a grade on the 20 to 80 scale that maps their anticipated annual war production during the players like first six years is like generally 
how they look at it. So if he thinks a player's got a future value of 55, that means that the guy projects as an above average regular, you know, which generally means like two and a half to three and a half war. Yeah, he he thinks Colson Montgomery ultimately moves to third. I think he's one of the only guys right now that thinks that. And look, I think it's it's very easy to say with that body, like he's moving to third, right? Like we've talked to a lot of people. That's probably safe. But others like Keith Law and, you know, we talked to Bill Mitchell and we've talked to Jim Callis think that he could stay at shortstop. And I think the White Sox think that he can stay there too, you know? So, you know, I think one of, one of the things about this list, um, it's a little bit different than others and it's going to be, right? Like when you have a guy um, like the reliever that they just acquired from San Francisco, okay? And he's... He's up this high on the list. And I think our future Sox list, like we don't generally even rank relievers unless they're, you know, projectors locked down like high leverage type guys. Right. But, you know, if he, if he, if it's like a 40 future value reliever or a 50 future value reliever, you know, I think Fangraphs kind of looks at that similarly to other positions. Right. So they'd rank like a 50 future value reliever higher than they would like a 45 future value position player. And it's just like, that's why it happens like this on this list for some people that have kind of asked about Santos and why he's so high, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think it just like kind of depends. I think what you need to do is like, like if you're reading the fan graphs list and look, even other lists, like I wouldn't worry so much about the order. I'd read like the information, like in the scouting parts and then just like, kind of glean what you want from that rather than just like kind of ranking the players, like take the information from underneath there and, and go from there essentially. So thanks for explaining that because totally ignorant to this process. I don't necessarily look at fan graphs for their prospects information. Uh, they do really good work, but this is something that I kind of stay away from because I, I really trust baseball America and yeah. uh, Jim Callis and, and of course the athletic um, so fan graphs is kind of like, I, I look for them for other information, but James, it's like one of those things where there are other sources for me to take in the information that gives me a better outlook of the process. Not to say that fan graphs doesn't do a good job. It's just, I look elsewhere. Yeah. And I mean, if you want to just take like the rose colored glasses part of this, I mean, the Brian Ramos portion is pretty exciting. And I know Eric Loggenhagen has always been a fan of Brian Ramos. I mean, you know, if you look on a top 100 list right now and find Curtis Mead from the Tampa Bay Rays, this is pretty promising when he says Ramos is walking the Curtis Mead path in many ways. He's performed as a young for the level hitter at each stop, despite a raw approach to plate and uncertainty around his defense. So, you know, like the White Sox have played Ramos at second a little bit. I think, you know, I think it's going to be a big question for us where we where we rank Ramos, like, you know, in conjunction with Sosa and Rodriguez and some of these other guys who have been Latin American signings and Cuban signings um, recently by Marco Patti. So, you know, that's one positive of this. I I like all of these lists because I like reading all the opinions um, from different people. I I don't know if Eric still gets as many, as, as many in-person looks as everybody else does. I know he's out in Arizona, but they've done really good work for a long time. And, you know, this list is, you know, just a little bit different with some of the names on it, but the Baseball America top 30 will drop fairly soon and the pipeline one will after that. And, you know, we'll go over those two like in uh, anticipation of dropping ours. 
Luis Mieses keeps popping up on lists, and he's turning 23. Left-handed bat, listed at 6'3", 220, with a future value of uh, his raw power grade of 55. And he's got a future value hit tool of 55. This is somebody, I think, in 2023, James, that we should be paying more attention to. Yeah, so I mean, look at all. I think I say this often. It's all gonna. Right. De- it's all gonna depend on Birmingham, you know. So, like, I, I think it's it's he's projected more as like a guy that's gonna hit righties, which is valuable. Like, if he can play in an outfield corner and play well and hit righties, like you can play in the big leagues. But I think a lot will come of how he does at Double A Birmingham because it's a place where a lot of White Sox pl- prospects, hitting prospects for sure, used to go and struggle, but lately. I think it's been kind of the barometer for some of the guys that we've been super high on, like your your Lenin Sosa's and your Oscar Colas's and your even Jose Rodriguez. Like those guys all went to double A and mm-hmm. performed well. And it's one of the things that was eye opening that we didn't really see in the past. So, you know, one that I'll throw at you, like before we can stop here, another guy that we've heard mentioned last week too from Bill Mitchell, Ryan Burroughs yep. is 14 on this list. So the shortstop is a 17-year-old. Oh, he looks like he's 18 now, but he was signed as a 17-year-old out of Panama. Bill Mitchell told us that the organization is very high on Ryan Burroughs. Um, and, you know, they like Panamanian kids are usually, you know, they, they get through the schooling system there and they're generally like more mature than some of the other, you know, some of the kids out of the Dominican Republic. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a young Ryan Burroughs in Kannapolis at some point this year. Um, but it, I mean, DSL standout Eric writes for his contact ability and extremely projectable frame. You know, he signed for less than a hundred thousand dollars and he's quickly become one of their more exciting youngsters. Um, I know that over at MLB pipeline, they mentioned that this is a name that had come up in trade talks with other clubs. So pretty interesting. Like just a guy that, you know, Eric says kind of looks like a division one corner and has bat to ball skills. You know, they give him a chance to develop a potent hit power combination once he begins to fill out. So that is definitely a guy that is going to be on our list somewhere and somebody that we should be following next season to see how he does in his first stateside action as a, as a pretty young guy. Yeah, give me athletic shortstops. Love to hear that, and I love to hear that other organizations are interested in a young prospect because they believe there's something there. And Cole Seamus, by the way, continues to pop up on everybody's radar, so he's on ours as well. And James also mentioned that we're working on our top 30. I mentioned it earlier in the episode. Thanks so much for tuning in to this podcast and sticking with us to the end. Man, as the calendar flips to 2023 and we're into January... That means February's next, and it also means spring training's coming up. So baseball's going to pick up soon. You'll have the Super Bowl, and once that's done, then boom. We're all baseball all the time, and you know that's what we do at SoxMachine.com is follow Chicago White Sox 24-7. But, man, it's you know the part of the offseason that kind of lulls is, is here. But, James, like this free agent period, this cycle, this offseason stove was pretty entertaining, and I'm glad – that front offices were proactive in figuring out, you know, their needs and doing deals and signing guys early outside of late January, like we've seen in the past. Yeah. Basically having it all done by new year's is awesome. Yep. Like, and I know like a lot of people have kind of said like, why can't baseball be more like the NBA or the NFL, right? Like, cause I know bears fans in March on that day 
you're going to have like seven signings day one, right? Like mm-hmm. it's crazy because those, like it in like those teams just run out of money because of the salary cap and baseball's not like that. But this year it was a little bit different and everybody signed. So yeah, it was, it was really fun. And uh, it seems like it's pretty much over because if you look at a free agent list right now, it's uh, pretty thin, pretty thin yeah. it seems, but I would imagine we'll have trades and some other sure. minor moves like up through spring training. So should the be Korea, man. The, yeah, that, it seems like the Matt. It seems like Matt still, but yeah. No, like, I, so it's like arthritis in the surgically repaired leg suggests that that will bother him deep into his contract. Like if you give him a 13 year deal, how much are you going to get out of him before that becomes a serious thing? I get it, but I think these teams want to do the 12 and 13 year deals so that they can lower the luxury tax hit, right? So, mm-hmm. like in theory, it's easy for you and I to say, like, oh, give him 40 million over six years, you know, right? But then that luxury tax hit, you know, especially for a team like the Mets, like, and right. he he doesn't care, right? But I think he's going to care at some point. I think. Steve Cohen really wants to be the Dodgers and right now he needs to spend in order to do that. But I think eventually it is going to be like a, a scouting and development org like the Dodgers is with the ability to also spend. Right. But he's in the spending portion because they don't have the system to, mm-hmm. to do anything else. So yeah, I, I think that's where the issues come in. I mean, any team that signs him kind of wants it to be long-term to spread that hit out, mm-hmm. but now these concerns are there. So it does make it uh, a little bit interesting, kind of sucks for the guy, but. You know, I think he, yeah. I think he's going to get paid. I think you're right. I think it, it it all has to do with a luxury tax hit, and that's that's a great point. That's James Fox. My name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Future Sox Podcast. We're looking forward to 2023, and we're looking forward to you being with us throughout the journey. Thanks so much, as always, for your support. We're back every Tuesday. Until next Tuesday, be sure to like, subscribe, check out our old podcast if you haven't listened to the latest. It's Bill Mitchell of Baseball America. Provides a lot on the White Sox Top 30 and some interesting names that you may not have heard of. So check that one out. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you all next week.